Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And it is currently the international break, which is probably a good time for us to take stock of where Spurs and Arsenal are in the league. Spurs a second, one point off top. And I don't actually know where Arsenal are in the league, Jason. Could you remind me? It doesn't pop up when I look at my my phone screen. Where, Where are Arsenal on the table at the moment? Are even nestling an 11th, sort of a few points off uh, that sixth place, but also equally around that 16th place mark. So uh, pretty much feels like we've gone back in time a year and nothing's changed. Well, on that point, that leads me into the very first question I wanted to ask you, which, of course, hot on the heels of your 3-0 defeat to Aston Villa. I came across a few uh, surprising statistics out there, really. They certainly took me by surprise. Um so one of them was that Arsenal, after eight games, this is the fewest number of goals you've scored after eight games, uh, I think, for about 20-odd years. Um, obviously, we know last season was your lowest league position for about 25-odd years. And I saw that after 28 Premier League games in charge of the club, Arteta is 11 points behind where Unai Emery was. So I suppose my question is, Mikel Arteta... Is he doing a good or a bad job? Mm, I'd like to say as expected, if not slightly better, only because let's take the whole context of the past. It's been about a year, 11 months, and we can't overlook that FA Cup triumph. A lot of clubs have swapped positions to have done that. Um, And, you know, um, had that kind of transformation in terms of overall a little bit of something different, a little bit more effort from some overall. Um, the past few weeks have been horrific, despite a, a, an amazing result against Man United. Not really performance. Again, winning those Europa League games, not very convincingly considering who the opposition were. Um, but, you know, it, it's something's slowed down and it was those it was that Leicester and Man City result just being pipped to the post felt like we were playing for draws and maybe nicking something which might have been a bit smarter than the Wenger days tactically but hadn't come off for one reason or another I think the got the the lack of scoring goals is very concerning considering we've just signed um you know attacking midfielder in Willian in terms of his wages. Um, you know, we have all this talent, apparently, in, in Pepe and Saka and Nelson and um, Lacazette and Aubameyang. And, you know, getting Aubameyang down on that deal as well, you would think that Arteta had no excuses. Um, he has all the tools at his disposal, a lot of different players in different positions, and he spent the money. So the fact that he spent the money means he's got the pro- player profile that he needs and wanted. Um, and I don't know why it's just suddenly not working. And I think it might have to do with something that maybe he's run out of ideas. It's become a little bit predictable. We used to always see that same move where the goalkeeper played it to the right back, the right back down to the right wing, crossed over to the left wing, Aubameyang cut in and scored. And I haven't seen that again. Um, Sloppy passing, mistimed tackles, people out of position again. A lack of energy, not finishing off chances. Um, is it Arteta's fault? He said himself, I'm the manager and, and the buck um, lies with me. 
Um, but funnily enough, I've always been a believer in the kind of the manager as the responsible one in these kind of situations. But actually, the players really look bad. I mean, Alabama Yang looks dreadful. His first touch is sloppy. He's not shooting. He looks like he's lost a yard or two of pace. And I don't know whether it's got something to do with motivation with these players. They feel like maybe they have nothing to prove anymore because at the beginning of Arteta's reign, he kept people on his toes. He he switched players in and out. The, the lineup was unpredictable. So I think they may have thought, I have to play to keep myself in the team. And I think the team now kind of picks itself. And that's been the issue. Lacazette shouldn't be near this team anymore. But he seems to be the first name on the team sheet up front. He's been dreadful. He can't even finish anymore. And his goals earlier in the year, I think, were kind of fluky ones. I mean, it's not it's not the Lacazette we thought he could have been. Um Shaka seems to, to have gone missing, and that might be almost, you know, he, he's put too much faith in El Mene. Shaka was actually starting to do well. He's lost momentum, and now, now he's not even in the team. Um, we can't pass too much judgment on Thomas Party at the moment because he's just joined in. But again, when you look at the back, you're thinking, well, why are we playing our left-back Tierney at centre-back? Why is Rob Holding back in when we surely have better uh, centre-backs than him? Um, and yet again, I've been proven right, and I don't care who says what, that uh, losing Martinez and keeping Leno was the wrong decision. And you could see Martinez's impact the other day was more than just a goalkeeper. He starts those attacks at Villa. He helps them play out the back. He gives that defence confidence to then link to the midfield and, and for the forwards to push forward. And it's very concerning that this is a trend now with Arsenal. And that if Arteta doesn't find something soon and does something quick, these seven games gone will become 14 games, 21 games, 28 games. We might find ourselves in a position where we really don't have a chance of getting Europe next year. And that would be concerning because we need to do better than we did last year in order for there to be progress. And there's no excuse to say other clubs have done better because we've spent more than them. We apparently have the best young manager in the world, which I still believe deep down. He's got what it takes. And we've got top, 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 top players on top, top money and the facilities. And everyone's in the same ball game with COVID. So it's not, it's not an excuse. It's even worse for the other clubs. We should have more of a, an advantage there. So if we don't finish in the top six or seven this year and we don't get through to at least a quarter final, then, uh, you know, I never thought I'd say this so early, but I think the club might think, hmm, Cheap manager, probably get rid of him quite easily. Probably some high can um, high quality candidates. If Everton can get Ancelotti, we can get someone in. And they might change their mind very quickly based on financial gains in this market. Um, so I'm not saying Arteta out yet, even though I just said that. Um, I'm saying Arteta behave. <laughs> Arteta behave. I like that. It's music to my ears. You mentioned Aubameyang there. And, I mean, can we finally settle once and for all this? I mean, I don't even think it's a debate, but I know Arsenal and Spurs fans online like to debate who's better between Aubameyang and Kane. And I know you'll probably throw trophies at me, and yes, Aubameyang's won more trophies, but looking at them as individuals, their performances, their skill sets, I mean, this season, it's just night and day. I mean, there's no comparison. And, and a, a genuine question I had for you, because I, I don't watch Arsenal enough to know this, but when Aubameyang isn't scoring goals, like at the moment, it, does he do enough in his overall play to warrant his place in the team? Is he doing enough to bring other players into the game, to create chances, to even stop goals at the other end? Or is he very much on those players where, one of those strikers where if he's not scoring, 
he's kind of useless. To be fair to him, to give you a good point, he does track back. He always has done. But, I don't take this lightly, if I was the manager now, or what I think needs to happen, the first thing is to drop Aubameyang from that team sheet and strip him of captaincy. That's exactly what I think needs to happen if Arteta's serious about, you know, making this a young, dynamic team. I think, no, it's no contest anymore, Michael. It's, it's Carrie Kane is a much better striker than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You know, he's a proper striker. Whether or not they're very, very best at the very, very peak of their careers, I'm not sure. I think Aubameyang, with his pace and his finishing and his, his you know, dynamism, I think, you know, it's a pretty much uh, a tough run. But on their poor days, Kane can still pop up. Aubameyang looks like the likes of Bentner and Chamak. And the fact that I even mentioned their names in the same breath is a lot. I mean, you know, for Ian Wright to speak in his... Um... Oh, that's the police. Oh, God, they're looking for me. Um... <laughs> Ian Wright to say, um... you know, he thinks he could be a legend, have a legacy and all this rubbish. And this is how Aubameyang has repaid that, that faith in him. I'm going to leave that hanging in the air, to be honest. It doesn't sit well as a fan. I'm going to clip that bit of you saying Kane's better than Aubameyang and just play it again and again and again. Um, you mentioned William there as well. And because I remember when Arsenal signed William and we signed Hoiberg and we were kind of debating and going back and forth on Messenger about who had made the better signing. And I just wonder whether you're starting to think twice about William and whether maybe... I know it was a free transfer, but whether, you know, even with the wages you mentioned, whether that money might have been spent better elsewhere. And if perhaps someone like Pepe, I think I read somewhere the other day about him being unhappy about his lack of playing time. And, and do you think William might be standing in the way, not just as someone like Pepe, but of potentially younger players who might have more of a future, who might be hungrier and make more of an impact on the team? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, William is not earned his paycheck since the first game week and people have been saying oh it's what he does off the ball I don't see anything I absolutely don't see anything no, none of the quality that he seemed to have at Chelsea I just don't know if he cares but it's harsh to say but I'm, I'm not sure what the motivation is at the moment it's not competing for the big trophies the fact that he said about winning the Champions League in three years is laughable absolutely laughable we're 100 years away at the moment and Pepe when he comes on Albeit he is not the player that that price tag suggests. He looks a little sharper. He shoots. He's quick. He tries to take players on. And with a run in the team, maybe something consistent will come of him. He does get those goals in the Europa League. Um, but, you know, when someone like Martinelli comes back into the team when he's fit, why shouldn't he play? If Nelson's playing decently, why shouldn't he play? Or even better, why don't we stop playing around with this three up front where you've got an isolated man up front and start using partnerships up front a bit better. I, I've been sick of it for a long time, this kind of isolation for all our players up front and relying so much on their individual talents. If we're supposed to be the Arsenal team who are a team like Barcelona DNA and all that, and I want to see it. I mean, it's, it, it just feels like everything is... Suddenly everything feels wrong. It feels all wrong. All even... Even the fact that we have been so defensive and having um, at the beginning of the season and kind of having that defensive record, it feels like, hold on, this isn't Arsenal. What on earth is going on? Yes, we need a, a base, but we need to do something from it. This tactic of, they say we're playing out of the back. 
They're playing it out the back to David Luiz, who punts it up. Might as well just have Leno punt it up. It's it's amateur football. It's like we talk about Arsenal the whole time. I don't know whether there's still players lingering around from the Wenger era or the Emery era, clearly. But, you know, I'd get rid of the lot. I'd actually get rid of the lot right now. And that's that's showing how much I'm not in love with Arsenal anymore. And it happens once in a while. Um, And I can't believe... It's happened so quickly after that amazing FA Cup victory and the positive uh, aspirations we had for the season. I suppose the only positive is that things could turn around pretty quickly because am I right in thinking that your fixture list after the international break is a little bit kinder? You have had some tricky fixtures lately with United, Leicester City. I mean, Villa are on great form at the moment as well. Do you think you could maybe put a run together after the international break? I don't think so, no. I think Leeds away... Couldn't see us getting anything from that and the way we've been playing. You know, forgetting the Europa League games, Wolves, they're a tough cookie. Spurs, they're all right. <laughs> Burnley, maybe Southampton. But, you know, then you get into the Christmas period, Everton, Man City, Chelsea back to back and then Brighton away. I mean, I, I, I'm suddenly looking at all these games, whereas years ago I would say these easy three pointers thinking I'm not actually sure if we're favourites anymore. You know, if Southampton comes to the Emirates, I'd be more worried about Danny Ings against our defence, if he's back, or Che Adams, than Aubameyang against uh, McCarthy and Vestergaard and Bertrand and all that. And that is, I mean, that is dreadful to only think, oh, even even looking at the West Brom game on uh, January 2nd away, I'm thinking, well, we we should probably beat them, but who knows nowadays? I mean, I'm feeling really pessimistic and I'm usually a little bit more optimistic than this with Arsenal. And I, I just don't know what's going to change now. The players are the players, the managers are the managers, the style the style. And, you know, it's not relegation form, but it's certainly, uh, the performances are certainly enough to, to cause alarm and are definitely the types of performances that get managers sacked. Oof. You mentioned the, the Spurs game there. How confident would you feel coming up against Tottenham right now where we are where you are would you be nervous about that game or do you think maybe in a way it's the kind of match you need to for the team to kind of step up again no I think I would expect like a 5-1 like in the early days I, I think we, we we'd be thrashed I think the Jose factor the way your players are performing your motivation you feel like you have something to play for you feel like you're growing and we feel like we're just stagnant you know, I can't see us getting a result out of that game right now in three weeks' time or in three months' time, the way it's going. I wish I had the, the same levels of optimism. Despite how well we're playing, I can't help but look at that game. And in fact, all of our fixtures after the international break, we've got City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Then I think it's Palace, Liverpool, Wolves and Leicester. Wow. Do you like a big game, Spurs? And they've got a big game manager. You know, it's... Uh, some of these teams on paper aren't doing that well. We should have beaten United, uh, City and Liverpool based on their form. Spurs can do that. You can go and do that based on your massive squad, your massive motivation, your momentum. You can easily go and uh, mess that up as well. I understand that. But, yeah, I guess I want to flip the agenda now to something a little bit positive because, you know, at least someone on this podcast is enjoying their football right now. I mean, what's it been like just seeing, you know, Spurs, apart from a couple of these... Uh, these tricky, unnecessary um, blips in terms of that Newcastle game, West Ham game. I mean, you look the real deal. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting you said about enjoying the football because, yeah, in terms of results and performances, it, it, it's been brilliant. But what's been quite interesting these last three games, I suppose the 1-0 the win over Burnley, the 2-1 over Brighton and the 1-0 over West Brom, is that they weren't anywhere near as entertaining or as exciting or high scoring as obviously beating United 6-1 at Old Trafford or putting five past Southampton at St. Mary's. But they're the exact sort of games that Spurs would always slip up in, in previous seasons. West Brom was a classic one. We'd always draw or lose to them. Burnley away as well is difficult. And after West Ham and Newcastle, like you said, what we needed to prove was that we could win when not playing well, that we could hold on to a lead, that we could keep a clean sheet. And I mean, the goal against Bright, the goal Brighton scored arguably shouldn't have stood with the foul on Hoiberg. But if you take that out of the equation, that's two clean sheets in the Burnley and West Brom games and di- difficult matches away from home where Son against Burnley and then Kane against West Brom popped up late, late on with the goal to get the three points. And those sort of matches, whether you win them or, or, or drop points, is the difference between finishing the top four or not or, or being title challenges or, or not. And even though, you know, 1-0 away at West Brom, we're not going to remember the same as the, the 6-1 at Old Trafford. In a way, there's something not necessarily more impressive, but more indicative of how good you are as a team, I suppose, when you can win the 1-0s at Burnley and West Brom, as well as the 6-1 at United. Because as incredible as that United result was, and as much as we deserved it, there is a kind of freakish, fluky element to that when it's such a high score line when they have a player sent off. When you're playing against teams like Burnley and West Brom, who are well-organised, who defend deep, who make it difficult for you, and you can come away with the win, that gives me more confidence about our ability to finish in the top four this season or maybe even compete for the title more so than something like the United win, even though obviously that's more entertaining and exciting. Um, and I think last time we spoke, I said we had six fixtures coming up, which were those three league games I mentioned and then three games in the Europa League. And I said, really, if we want to compete, we need to win all of them and keep a clean sheet in at least half of them. We did keep a clean sheet in at least half of them, but we did lose that one Europa League game to Antwerp. And you did see Mourinho react quite strongly after that. And I think, once again, there has been a positive response from the team. I think every time we've had a, a damaging result like that, you go back to the opening day against Everton. Nobody would have predicted after when we lost 1-0 to Everton and how bad we looked that day that in a couple months' time, we'd be right up at the top of the table. But the team responded positively to it. Towards the end of last season, when we lost 3-1 to Sheffield United, everyone was writing us off. Mourinho blasted the team. People were saying, oh, the, the wheels are falling off already. But then we came back, we beat Leicester 3-0, we beat Arsenal 2-1, and we ended up finishing top six and qualifying for Europe. So the team have shown the ability to bounce back. And as you said, arguably the big games might suit us better in the way we play. You know, against Burnley and West Brom, they didn't leave a lot of space in behind for Kane and, Kane and Son to do damage or Bale to kind of run on to, to through balls. Whereas against City, against Leicester, against Liverpool or, you know, teams. I was about to say Arsenal, but then it wouldn't make sense because I was about to say teams who play attacking football and come on to you leave space in behind for the counter-attack. So actually, in a way, maybe Arsenal, the defensive kind of cautious way Arteta plays might actually um, make it more difficult for us than playing against someone like City or Liverpool, for example. But I do think that run of fixtures is going to be kind of make or break in terms of whether we're just going to be top four contenders or whether we actually genuinely are title challengers obviously we're right up at the top of the table at the moment but where we are when we've come through that run of fixtures I think will decide then 
what the expectations should be for the rest of the season. If we're still in this position after coming through those fixtures, then I'll start to believe. But if we drop back a bit, then I think, okay, we need to maybe be a little bit more realistic, reevaluate things, top four. You know, nobody was tipping us really for the top four at the start of the season. I, I mean, most predictions I saw had Arsenal ahead of Spurs in terms of league position. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very happy. I don't really have much to complain about, to be honest. I suppose it's just uh, whether we can maintain these strong defensive performances and score lots of goals as well, or whether it's going to be one or the other. We're either going to be scoring five, six, seven goals, but conceding two or three at the same time, or it's going to be kind of nil-nil, one-nil, cagey. It's finding a way to still play that attacking football and, and score those goals whilst keeping the keeping it tight at the back. And I suppose there are still question marks defensively. And obviously there's lingering questions about players on the fringes of the squad like Deli Ali. But I think you've got to give credit to Mourinho. You know, him and Arteta came to their new jobs at around similar times. And the, the narrative very much was that Mourinho was this outdated dinosaur who was going to play dull defensive football. And Arteta was the kind of young, progressive Pep Guardiola protege who was going to you know, develop young players and play exciting attacking football. And in a way, it's been the, the complete opposite. I feel like if Mourinho had produced identical results and performances to Arteta at Arsenal, there would be a lot more negative talk around Arsenal than there is. I know there already is some already, and, you, and you've said some of it, but I feel like there'd be a lot more if it was Mourinho serving those things up. And similarly, I feel like a different manager to Mourinho, even though he is getting credit, would probably be getting even more credit for the way Spurs are playing. And he, he seems to have unlocked a whole new dimension to Kane and Son and the way they play together and when you consider the fact that Bale hasn't even reached his maximum potential yet he's still kind of getting back up to fitness it is exciting to think and you know similarly with Lo Celso it's exciting to think what the possibilities could be but I mean there'll be so many twists and turns in any normal Premier League season let alone with the schedule and with Covid and, and everything so I'm not getting too carried away Spurs you know you there's never a, too far away from a disaster or shooting ourselves in the foot. But I wonder what kind of what you think about that, I suppose, Mourinho-Arteta comparison I made. Because way back in the day, Mourinho was linked to the Arsenal job, which probably was never going to happen the, the way he'd made such an enemy of Arsene Wenger. But I wonder whether you kind of, is there any part of you that looks over enviously at, at the way we're playing and kind of wonders maybe what might have been had you gone for a more established, you know, you talked about Everton getting Ancelotti, we got Mourinho. Are you kind of wondering what might have been had you got Mourinho or a kind of similar established superstar manager who can kind of come in and have that sort of immediate authoritative impact on the team? I think I'm going to sit on the fence with this one because in one way, on one hand, yes, like, of course, to have a top quality manager to a top quality club, you know, there's a reason why they're big names because they get the best out of big players and they win things. That, that for me, was is for certain. But I think after the Arsene Wenger era and whatever that was with Emery, we did need something a little bit more exciting, innovative and different. And we did need someone young with new ideas. And you'd think that Pep Guardiola's prodigy, as you called him, would would be the perfect man. And, you know, we'd heard such great things about his coaching. You would have ideally liked someone maybe with a couple of years of actual managerial experience, you know, I wonder, even if it was a lower level, whether Frank Lampard has that that edge on him, on uh, Arteta, because he, he kind of got his ideas out, saw what worked at Derby, saw what didn't quite work, and then was able to take this young squad. And he had those restrictions. He had to work with these 
these younger players. He lost a great player in uh, in Hazard the year he joined. You know, you have these guys like the Nagelsmanns, Tommy Tuchel to an extent, although I don't think he's done a great job with PSG. I think it might be, you know, a step too far for him too early. Um, but then you have Arteta, who, you know, you could certainly say the motivational aspect changed slightly and the feel and the mood and the low morale, which was needed, and tried something different and trying to implement this style and make it unconscious. But you just feel that maybe he doesn't have the players for it. You know, at Man City, it's very easy when you have players who have that technical style to say, all right, we're teaching you how to do this and you can do it because you're capable. But I think 90% of this team aren't capable of hitting those heights and doing it right. And that's the worrying thing, that it all feels like a bit of a wasted effort unless you've got the players um, to execute a plan the plan won't work. So he's got two options, Arteta. He can either drop half that team, bring in the youth players who have those ceilings, who can do it, um, but, you know, be honest and say, you know, we're not competing for the next couple of years, but we're going to build this big team, a bit like Germany did um, on the international scene, and we're going to win together and we're going to be really exciting. Or he has to change his style and say, okay, my players aren't at that level yet. Until I get these players performing higher than they can, back in the top elite competitions, attracting the players I want and having the money that I need, then I need to find a way to win. And that's what I think he was trying to do, but it's no longer working. So he's got to adapt because it was the same thing with Emery, trying the same thing over and over again. And the same thing with Wenger, trying the same thing over and over again. And when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I think Jose's always been, he's now shown himself to be a lot more adaptable. Um, you know, there was that defensive football. And he can turn it on when he knows... He's going to be outpaced, outclassed, outskilled in his teams. He'll turn on the defensive tap. But when he knows he's got the attacking talent, he'll he'll unleash them. But we are lining up with five at the back, two holding midfielders, and putting our best striker on the left wing against teams at home who we should be battering. Um, I don't know whether it's immaturity as a manager, a lack of experience. Maybe he doesn't have the respect to the dressing room. Maybe there are too many lingering characters around. Um, or maybe he's just run out of ideas. You know, maybe his time with Pep gave him so much, that principle, he thought, that's all I need. And then everything will come with it. And it hasn't. Um, listen, I'm sure he's his greatest critic at the moment. I don't want to add salt to the wounds to that or, or, or kind of put fire, uh, oil on the fire of Arsenal fans at the moment. Um, but something needs to change after this international break. It's come at a really good time. And please, let's hope there's no injuries because we need every man we can get. But I would say if we don't get that spark together and a bit of hunger again and, you know, the fans loving Arsenal again, and as I said before, it's uh, it's looking like, yeah, you know, you, you, you'd regret that. You'd regret how long the appointment went on for. You'd almost wished... It was just last season, almost a caretaker role until we went for someone higher. I mean, I always said to you, do you remember where, when Emery should come in, get us back to the top four and then leave because he can't do more than that. And maybe, maybe Arteta's ceiling was a top seven finish, getting us back into the Europa League and luckily or excitingly getting us a trophy and that's it. And I wonder whether he's peaked early and that's all we're going to see. And it'll be a shame, but... I don't want to see us fall further, but it looks inevitably like we'll fall 
even further back than going forward this season. And it's just about whether that springboards us into long-term change or uh, mid-table mediocrity. It's interesting because I was thinking the other day about, in a way, it kind of reminds me of Pochettino in the sense that you, you were talking about Jose being quite sort of adaptable and pragmatic. And I think that's been something that's been quite refreshing for Spurs fans because under Pochettino, similar, I suppose, to Arteta, he had a certain style, you know, a different style, but a certain style that he would like to play regardless of the opposition. And I mean, I'm sure both Pochettino and Arteta do have specific plans for specific opponents, but by and large, they have a certain style of play that they kind of philosophically, that's the way they want to play. Whereas with Mourinho, we do clearly adapt our approach depending on the the opponent that we're playing. And with Pochettino as well, I kind of got the one of the reasons why I'd be jealous about if he did end up at somewhere like Man United, who again, I mean, every day that goes by where they haven't hired him, I think they're mad, but I'm, I'm happy for them to, to keep on making that mistake. But I feel like even though he'd, he'd had the jobs at Southampton and Espanyol, he was still very much a young up-and-coming manager and you felt like he was still learning things at, at Spurs. I suppose particularly on the Champions League stage, you know, his first time being there and you, you almost got the feeling like the next club would be the one who would get the benefit from that from that experience, but not necessarily us. I know Arteta's already won the FA Cup, but it is his first job in management. Okay, He was with Pep as his assistant, but still, and even though he's achieved some success at Arsenal, you kind of get the feeling that he's the lessons he's learning here might then benefit him when he gets, I don't know, the Barcelona job or something in a few years' time, depending on the way they're going and the job he does at Arsenal and that kind of, he's, you know, you're, he's, it's exciting because you, you feel like there's a project and you like him and you believe in him, but maybe when you look back in retrospect, however many years it will be, you'll think, oh yeah, he was a bit naive and he was kind of using us as a sort of, springboard in a way and, and, a, and a place to learn and it will be another club that gets the benefit from that rather than us I don't know do you kind of get what I'm saying do you kind of maybe feel that or kind of worry about that a little bit as well mm, yeah I do <laughs> that's all I can say I mean I, I feel almost upset in a way that that we're speaking about this so early on in what was supposed to be the long reign long live Arteta 10 years a decade um but yeah, I, I just, I just, I don't know what I'm speechless, Michael. Well, look, I'm sure we'll we'll listen back to this podcast in ten years' time, and we'll be laughing at ourselves when you know Arteta's going on an open top bus parade for his second double at, at Arsenal, while you know Mourinho only lasted a few more months after recording this podcast. I mean, things could change very quickly, and probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arteta did still last longer at Arsenal. Than Mourinho does at Spurs. I mean, we know he he rarely lasts longer than three seasons at a club. And if you count the half season last season, then he's already into his second season at Spurs. So, you know, I, I do think Arteta is still a good, you know, as you said, he is a good manager. He's won an FA Cup. I think he will be a great manager. It's just a question of, I think, using the Pochettino example again, the reason why I often defended Pochettino is because I felt like he had a lot of constraints and not necessarily all of the tools at his disposal. So maybe it is more of a structural problem at Arsenal rather than, you know, an, an issue necessarily with Arteta. But then I guess that's worrying for a whole host of other reasons because then it's kind of it doesn't really matter who you've got in if the club as a whole isn't 
kind of where it should be. Yeah, and you wonder whether it had something to do with all that super agent nonsense going on and, and whether the money was gone so we just had to make do with all, with all the kind of um, implications of that. Um, and that, that would be gutting because it would almost say to me that, you know, we missed our chance on an amazing legacy because the club made bad decisions before Arteta joined. Um, so who knows whether next time we'd be better. But you just think that someone would just step in and say, guys, got to do something different here. But I don't know how easy that is to implement on a football pitch. But you th- I, I would have thought at this level, you know, these professionals can adapt pretty well, but clearly not. You know, it seems like a like a Leicester or a or a Wolves or clearly Aston Villa, they can turn it on in a different manner when they want to, and that just shows, you know, how competitive the Premier League really is, I guess. And talking about turning it on, I suppose I was thinking about um, bonfire night last week and about sparks and fires. And I was thinking, I mean, I can tell you, start first, about if, if there was a player on your team that you want to just get them to have a little spark for the rest of the season, someone who hasn't, hasn't quite hit the ground running, who would it be? And I, I mean, I'll obviously say Aubameyang because, you know, we know that when he's on fire, the rest of the team seems to follow suit. I'm not sure about you. I mean, the name that came to mind straight away without thinking about it too much was Gareth Bale, even though he had he did score the winner against Brighton and has played well in Europa League games. Because just the prospect of a peak Bale alongside Kane and Son is just, you know, mouthwatering. You think of the possibilities there. You, you back yourself to win any game, no matter what happens defensively. Um, and even though he, as I said, he scored, you, we still feel like we haven't seen. And I know he's a different player, and Mourinho said a lot about him being a different player. He's older now; he's had injuries, but and he said, you know, it's kind of like a preseason for him now, getting back into the swing of things. But when I when I look ahead to those um, tricky fixtures we've got after international break, I think to myself, you know, that would be a perfect time for Bale to really turn it on and kind of remind us all of what he's capable of and, and hit top form again. Because that could be a game changer for us then, you know, but teams are, you know, so focused on Kane and Son. But if you've got Bale there as well, then it's it's a whole new dimension to our game. And if he's anything like how he was the, the last season he, he played for us, or even some of his games around Madrid. And, you know, talking about big game players, big game moments, if, if any of those games were Champions League games, around Madrid playing City or Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea in the Champions League and Bale was playing for them, you'd back him to step up with a big goal, a big moment. So, yeah, I think Bale's the one for me who, if he explodes, then I think that the sky could be the limit for us this season, at least going forwards. And I guess outside of Spurs and Arsenal, I, I mean, there are some obvious candidates, but are there any clubs you wish you were a little bit like or, or kind of some managers or specific players that you think could uh, do a job in January? I mean, I think, I think we'll ignore the manager one because I'm sure you're very happy, but... Anyone you're thinking of now that you could do with, or are you happy to shut up shop, no one goes in or out and uh, see what the future holds for the season? Well, I think we're definitely still in the market for a centre-back, but to be honest, the standard of defending in the Premier League at the moment, there's not necessarily a Premier League centre-back who, who stands out. But the one thing I did watch and did make me feel a little bit kind of jealous and wonder kind of what might have been was when I was watching, and you know, sorry to bring it up again, but the Aston Villa-Arsenal highlights on Match of the Day too. And the um, 
the kind of interplay and passing between Grealish and Barkley. I think it was before the first goal when they were kind of passing it to each other and I think Barkley backheels it to him and they're kind of dummying and all that sort of stuff. And Grealish was a player who we came so close. I mean, we basically had signed him and then new Villa owners came in and we weren't, you know, he wasn't for sale anymore. Um, and Ross Barkley as well, we were linked to a lot. And I don't think we ever would have signed both of them. But And obviously, you know, we've got Kane and Son, which is an incredible partnership as well. But when you see the way Jack Grealish is playing and you consider how close we came to signing him and you consider... Uh, Deli Alley and, and the way his form, you know, he hasn't exactly been playing well at the moment. And you imagine, oh, what if we had a Grealish instead of a, a Deli Alley? And you, you kind of had Grealish to add into the mix of what we've got already. Um, that is quite an exciting thought. But yeah, I mean, I think Aston Villa and uh, Ollie Watkins, again, we, we were linked to Ollie Watkins. Supposedly, we didn't want to pay the money. We went for Carlos Vinicius instead on loan. Um, Ollie Watkins could be one we really regret missing out on because. You know, that could have then sorted us out for what happens, you know, when dread to think of the day. But when Kane hangs up his boots or if, if he ends up leaving, that would be then the ready-made replacement. I think Villa have been, and I'm sure you feel the same with the goalkeeping situation, Villa have recruited, I think, really smartly. And I think they've got a really young, exciting attack, um, as well as a really strong, sturdy defence. So Villa are the team I'm kind of looking at and thinking they've, been really clever in the transfer market and have signed a couple of players who I kind of wish we would have signed, even if they're not necessarily in the positions that we need. I wonder how about for you, are there any kind of clubs you're looking at and thinking that, you know, that could or that should have been us? Yeah, I mean, I think I echo everything you said about Aston Villa. I think also Leicester, we can't overlook the fact that the the old champions are now currently in pole position, uh, mathematically, um, at the top of the league. I mean, I still have regrets over Jamie Vardy. Why on earth we didn't put out the stops, whether or not it was a personal decision or not. But surely Arsenal is an attractive proposition at that time. Um, for someone like him, you know, real fox in the box up front, even if he was partnered with someone like Aubameyang. Um, a goalkeeper of true experience and, and quality in Schmeichel. Um, you know, the way they have these young defenders who are effective... You know, James Justin comes in, he looks better than Bellerin's looked for 10 years. I mean, it's unbelievable what they're doing. Someone like Johnny Evans, who you would have thought was finished at Man United. And then he comes in and he's like the talisman at the back. Yet you have, we come go in, in the past, bring in Mikel Sylvester from Man United. And look at what happened there. So it's, it's something about identification of this talent. And uh, I guess Southampton as well. You look at someone like Danny Ying, someone, someone with firepower. Just a bit of strength, someone a bit exciting. And we're definitely missing um, that just creativity and excitement, whether it was Zaha from Palace or Hamas Rodriguez from Everton or, I don't know, Podence from Wolves look amazing. They're all above us in the table. You almost think like someone like some Maximum or Traore or just just something to get us off our feet. And there's there's nothing like that at the moment. Nothing at all. And that's what all the top, top clubs have. You know, you have someone who... who um, Gets you off your seat to watch. You know when they get the ball, they're going to do something special. And that was a Bamiyang um, for the past couple of years, for the most part. But right now, can't see anyone. You know, our biggest attacking threat is Danny Ceballos. Barely gets a game when he comes on, he sideways passes. I mean, it's so underwhelming at the moment. Um, but where we go from there in January, we might try and sign this our guy again. I don't. Again, it feels the same. Why are we going to the French League? to sign someone who no one knows who might not have a chance of doing actually very well in the Premier League 
when you could go and sign someone ready-made in the Premier League for probably the same price and a little bit more. You know, the, the rumour is that Emery wanted Zaha instead of Pepe. If, that, if that's the case, then bring him back now. Clearly had a, had a good eye for talent. Probably <laughs> would, have, uh, would have done better for us. So I would say we've got to look internally now. Who's going to hit the ground running? You're right. You know, Ollie Watkins is an Arsenal fan. If we could have got him for 25 million, why not? We've got no one else. We've got Eddie Nketiah, who, who, who scores tappings. I don't see him being a being a key player for the club. I think he's just there to fill in the numbers right now. I mean, it's absolutely appalling. I don't. I. I don't know where the money is. I don't know where the strategy is. But at the moment, we've we bought out like six centre backs, half of which are injured. Cedric's nowhere to be seen. Pablo Mari. Why do we need another left back, uh, left footed centre back? You know, why is Kalasnach still at the club? Why does Tierney play centre back? Why does Saka sometimes play left back? Nothing makes sense anymore. I'm sorry to rant on and go on and on, but nothing makes sense anymore with Arsenal. It's frustrating because Arsenal is my respite. You know, it's a, it's a real enjoyable part. The end of your week, you know, watch the team that makes you happy. And I thought I was really going to enjoy it this year. I thought this was a really good time in a new era. And instead, I'm seeing Spurs down the road. Great new stadium. Manager re- uh, reignited. You know, the, the, the front line on fire, the defensive line, you know, at least the attacking fullbacks um, doing their bit. Midfield balance, squad depth, squad breadth. And then down the road, back down at ours, the complete and utter opposite. Well, I think that's a perfect note to, to end on, unless I suppose one final kind of we were looking at the rest of the league, and I just wonder whether recent events have changed in any way your predictions regarding the title or relegation top four. Are there any teams kind of on your radar? We mentioned Leicester and Aston Villa, but do you have any kind of changes to, to where you thought the season was going based on what you've seen these past few weeks? Yeah, I mean, if we go to the bottom, it's. Uh... Sheffield United might be in trouble now. It might it would be an unbelievable turnaround. I think it might be one of the records of, of like a flip um, from from kind of doing so well to bottom. Burnley as well don't really have much, and probably West Brom and and Fulham. So probably stay as is there. Um, top four. You think City are going to come good with their squad? Liverpool again with that squad. Tottenham at this rate. And I guess it's probably a fight out between Chelsea and, and the rest of the best. So it could be Leicester. I'm not sure. I just don't know if Villa can continue it, but they might surprise everyone. Wolves, Everton, everyone. Title, I don't know. I mean, right now I'd say Spurs, if it's on this form. But I'd, I'd like to think it will, if it's not Arsenal, which it definitely won't be, I'd like to think it would be an out, outsider or probably... Probably Man City. They just, they always find a way. I mean, this has been a historic episode. Jason admitting that Kane is better than Aubameyang, tipping Spurs for the title, and even kind of thinking back wistfully to Unai Emery and his uh, transfer targets. This has been a a fun listen. And it was live. (laughs) 